I'm your host, Madeline, and welcome to The Courageous Podcast, where you will hear inspirational stories every Monday and Thursday of everyday people who will share how they found strength, hope, and faith in the midst of adversity. Let's get ready to be inspired. Today, I have Lou Collier, who is originally from Chicago, but currently resides in Atlanta, Georgia. He is a husband to his beautiful wife, Malika, and they have three amazing children. Lou is a former Major League Baseball player who played from 1997 to 2004. In 2008, he founded a non-for-profit organization called the Lou Collier Baseball Association, where his mission is to help Chicago's inner city youth enhance their God-given abilities and develop both spiritually, mentally, and physically. Lou uses his love and passion for baseball as the vehicle to instill necessary life skills into each individual player on and off the field. I love that, Lou. I want to welcome you to the Courageous Podcast today. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure being here. And uh, man, I'm looking forward to uh, speaking to to people and, and hopefully they're, they're enlightened and motivated by my story. I know. I know they're going to love it, Lou. So today I also wanted to take a moment to introduce my co-host, which is my husband, Robert Hernandez. Welcome, husband. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, when we were thinking about doing this podcast, Lou, it was funny because he and I were kind of having discussions about people that really impacted us. And we had both thought of you, but we didn't share it. And one day he brought it up and I said, whoa, wait a minute. I was thinking the same thing. So as always, husband and wife, great minds think alike. And so that's why we were kind of interested in having you on and having you share your inspirational story. So Lou, we are, we're truly grateful to have you on talking about your journey as a young man from Chicago that overcame adversity to become a professional baseball player. So from that, I want to take it back. I want to take it back to the early days, Lou, when you were just starting off in this journey. Talk to us about that. Well, I grew up on the south side of Chicago in the Roseland area. The community that I grew up in was low-income housing. But, you know, for me, you know, growing up in that, in that environment and didn't, you know, when you're young, you really don't know, you know, how you're living. It was good people. We had good neighbors and sports was the thing that we did to keep ourselves out of trouble and, and keep ourselves busy. You know, my dad was a, a big sports fanatic as well as my mom. They, we love sports. We watched games on TV, football, basketball, anything that we could do. And my dad would always organize different games and different activities in the neighborhood. You know, we would choose teams and, and just start playing. And I just remember as a, as a young kid, man, I, I always loved sports. But, you know, as I grew a little bit older, you know, I played basketball, football, and baseball. As I grew a little bit older, I started to realize that baseball was the sport that I, I really just, I loved it. You know, I liked all the other sports and I was really good at football. And my dad was a, a football guy, so he was kind of pushing that on me. And I remember as a young kid walking into my mom and dad's room and telling telling my dad that, hey, dad, I, I want to play baseball. <laughs> and my mom looked at me and almost fainted because she knew how much he loved football. But I knew as a young kid that baseball was the sport for me. So as I grew up, you know, playing pickup games in the neighborhood, I was pretty good. 
I just remember one day uh, a neighbor came over to our house and told my mom that she was signing her son up for the Little League, uh, Roland Little League, which was about maybe a couple miles away from where I lived at. And believe it or not, you know, me as a kid never knew that this league was up there. Neither did my mom or dad. So when she told us about it and my mom asked me, was I, did I want to do it? I said, sure, I would love to. And I think I was around eight years old. So we signed up and I started playing organized baseball and my love for it grew then. I couldn't leave the field. I loved going to the practices. I loved playing the games. I just loved being at the ballpark. I just remember as a kid, just being at the field all day long. You know, as I moved on, I, you know, I improved working with my dad, being around the game, you know, I was an all-star in Little League. And, and, and in my mind, I, I just, I just remember being so serious about the game, just, crying when we lost, kind of coaching kids on the field. My mom and dad always said I was different, you know, when it came to, you know, playing the game. So as I move along, uh, got a little older. When you move on from Little League, you play, I guess what they call this Pony League back in the day. And just realized once the field got bigger, I still was performing at a high level. And in my mind, you know, I felt like I was pretty good. That's awesome. Uh, so a funny story. Now it's time for me. I'm getting ready to graduate out of eighth grade. And I'm from the south side of Chicago. Really hadn't picked a high school yet, but I knew that I wanted to go to a high school that had a good baseball team. So I remember watching the news one day. I think this was 1987 or maybe 88. And I see that CVS High School had won the city baseball championship. And right then and there, I told my mom, I said, that's the school I want to go to. And I ended up going there and uh, didn't really know how good they were, but I knew that they had won the city championship, so they must be pretty good. And at that time, nobody really knew who I was, and but I knew I, I loved the game and I wanted to go somewhere where they had a pretty good team. I ended up going to uh, CVS. CVS is a huge school. I think it was 11,000 students there. Oh, wow. So you can get lost very quickly. And I didn't know many people. I didn't know when the trials were. I didn't know when they was practicing anything. So one day I saw the uh, coach post the trial dates. I remember going to the trials in high school and seeing, you know, 40, 50 kids out there trying out. I had never seen these many kids. The coaches didn't know who I was or anything like that. But I went and did my thing. And, and by the end of the uh, trials, and by our first game, I was the starting shortstop and ace pitcher. Just had a love for the game and just always wanted to be, you know, the best that I could be. And that was kind of my, my journey from a child to the high school level. That's awesome. Lou, did you think that during that time, I know you said that you really worked hard and you really had a love and a passion for it, you know, which is so important, obviously, when you're just trying to compete and get better. Did you feel that you were getting the right training to really play competitively? At the time, I, I didn't know that training existed, right? I didn't know that you had to prepare and, and do all these different things to improve your game. I thought what I was doing was enough, right? I was pretty good. I was better than the guys around me. I didn't have a big head, but I knew that I was performing at a high level against the competition that I was around. As I got a little older, I started uh, getting invited to you know pro trial camp. When I went to one of these camps and started looking around, now we're talking about it's maybe 100, 
maybe 120 kids at this pro trial camp because everybody's dream was to play, to become a professional. That's right. And once I saw that and I saw some of the kids out there with two times better than I was, I started to realize that I wasn't getting what I needed, that I needed to work really hard and that I needed to get really focused and do things like that if I was ever going to be able to realize my dream of becoming a professional player. Hmm. Right. So that was that was an eye opener when I went to the, those trial camps. That's great, and you had shared a story with me about the story the coach shared with you about the one in the million. Yeah, this is a funny story. I remember attending uh, one of the trial camps. I believe it was uh, it might have been uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates open trial camps. You know, back in the day they would host these camps, and the pro team would send out letters and put stuff in the newspaper, and just kids from all over everywhere would show up at these camps. You know, everybody had a dream. They used to, even grown ups, twenty five years old out there, because they still they felt like if it was open uh, camp, if somebody saw them, that they may had to have a chance. So the scout who was running the camp was talking to all of us, and just basically, pretty much letting us know that it's very very difficult to play at that level. And just remember him saying, point one percent of the players who play the game make it to the major league level. Wow. He he broke it down. He said, so that's like one out of a million people who play will reach the major leagues. And I just remember just sitting there and looking him in his eyes, thinking to myself, if you say one is going to make it, then that one is going to be me. (laughs) I love that. And at the time, I didn't have a clue as to how it was going to happen. At my high school, we had limited resources. We didn't practice that much. We wasn't, I wasn't getting trained. I didn't have a, a map as to what was going to happen, but I felt that in my heart. And so now let's say fast forward your senior year. You said you were applying to all these colleges. Tell us a little bit about that journey and kind of where were you, you were heading at that time. It's my senior year. I've been receiving letters from various colleges who were interested in me. I had received a scholarship from Southern at Baton Rouge college that wanted me very badly. Now was on the radar of uh, pro teams. I was pro scouts was coming out to watch me play and I was getting letters from uh, pro teams. So it's a very exciting time for me in my senior year. I'm trying to figure out what what decision I was going to make, if I was going to get drafted, what was I going to do? And at that time, to be honest with you, my mom didn't really know, my dad and he didn't know either. You know, no one my family had ever been through, you know, those types of scenarios. So we was all trying to figure these things out as they presented themselves. So, you know, I, I graduated. I decided to turn down the scholarship to Baton Rouge and also the other, the other schools that was interested in me, the Division One schools, because I felt like coming from the inner city, Coming from the the situation that I was in, in the public, you know, playing in the public league, I knew in my heart that, you know, I wasn't ready to go to a big school. I wasn't ready to go out and and jump into that fire, right? I needed some type of closeness, right? Something that I was familiar with, like a gradual transition. I ended up getting drafted by the Houston Astros in the 56th round. Now, that's really late in the draft, right? Mm-hmm. But right. in my mind, I had just reached a milestone and, and a goal of mine, and that was to, to get drafted. My dream was to become a major leaguer, and me getting drafted was part of the plan. Once I got drafted, now I got 
a decision to make. Do I go to school? Do I sign the contract? I remember the scout coming over to my home, talking with my mom and dad, and we're discussing the contract. You know, getting drafted in the 56th round, you don't have much leverage. But it was my dream, right? Mm-hmm. So we're really debating it. And I remember the scout, you know, he's trying to sell me on it. He's he's in there and saying, hey, we're going to take good care of you. You know, it's, it's your dream. You can go play and become a professional. And the offer that they put on the table was $15,000. Wow. <laughs> this was $15,000. This was 1991. You know, my family situation, we could have used $15,000. I could have, you know, I was excited about becoming a pro, but I knew in my heart and my mom knew and dad knew as well that for that amount of money, not that it was about the money, it was about the security, right? right. And where I was mature-wise and as a player that I needed to go on to school and pass up on that first offer for me, you know, becoming a pro. And that's what I did. And so what was your first year of college like as you had made this decision to pass up that contract and go to college? I'm so happy uh, that I decided to go to college. And I decided to go to a junior college. And uh, one of the reasons why I went to a junior college was, you know, back Back then, they had a rule, uh, and the rule was called the uh, draft and follow rule. So once the Houston Astros drafted me, they were able to maintain the rights, my rights, right, up into the next draft. So what that meant was if I improved as a player, if I felt like the deal that they was putting on the table was, was good enough for me to sign, I can sign with those guys before the draft and go on and, and become a Houston Astro. So that was one of the reasons why. The other reason was the fact that I was I was able to get away from home, mature as a man, get out of the inner city, get away from my mom, get you know just go, right, and figure out what life was about. You know, being being able to wake up and get to school on time, turn in work on time, get to practice, eat right, get my sleep, stay away from you know trouble and different stuff like that. And on top of all of that, I had a coach that was. Very, very demanding, right? He didn't pull any punches. He he told it to us straight. He looked he looked me in my eyes and told me, he said, Lou, I know you got drafted by the Houston Astros, but son, if you was any good, you wouldn't be here. Wow. And, and a lot of people would take that as a, you know, as a negative. You know, I took it as motivation. Like, you know what? You're right. And, and that's what I needed as a, a kid coming from the inner city just naive to everything that I was getting ready to go through, right? Not even understanding the the difficulties of of what I was getting ready to endure. And that particular situation was tough too. It was a tough transition, but it was preparing me for what was to come. That's it. Yep. And so I know you said that your coach was leaving and that he was trying to help you to transition a Triton in your second year. Tell us about that transition and, and, you know, what that meant for you going forward. Yeah. So uh, first, I want to say that my coach did an outstanding job, uh, Tom Monard, just preparing me for just just helping me become a man and just understanding what life was about. It's about accountability and about showing up every day, about believing in myself. 
And, you know, he was tough, but he was preparing me. He, he, he held us accountable. We had to perform. If we, if we got out of line, he told us about it. You know, it was, it was tough when he was leaving. I was in a really good place. I really liked what I was learning. So when he told us he was leaving to actually become a scout for the Pirates, well, I had mixed emotions. I was happy for him, but I was sad about the fact that he was leaving and didn't really know what, you know, the future encountered, right? But he pulled us all together and he told us that, you know, uh, he had a good relationship with the Triton coach. They had a really good program as well, a national program. They was They've been good for a very long time. And so it was a really good situation that I was transitioning in. You know, that next year when I went to Triton, things came together. I was mature. I was confident as a player. I understood what I needed to work on. I had that work ethic. I was training the right way. And the coaching style at Triton was very different. He was kind of hardcore and in your face. And at Triton, it was super laid back and just confident and just kind of let me do my thing. But I had already had that work ethic instilled in me. I had a goal and dream in my head that I wanted to reach. So I took full advantage when I got over to Triton. I had one of the best years of my life. That's amazing. What a great story. And just the experience, the fact that at such a young age, you could appreciate that experience and how hard your coaches were and, and why it was important for you on your journey. And so you said that, you know, you had a really good year at Triton, the coaches found favor in you and you were doing really well, as you said, and then you went back into the draft, right? Right. So the Astros came back to me and wanted to sign me before the draft. This time they upped it, you know, $10,000. Ten or fifteen thousand. I think they offered me twenty-five, thirty thousand dollars to sign before the draft, and I turned it down again, and <laughs> ended up getting drafted by the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates, which now my coach is a scout for, and I got a relationship with him and and some of the other scouts. The Pirates offered me eighty-five thousand dollars before I entered to the draft, nice. and I felt that that amount of money was was good for me. This was now 1993. I felt like, hey, that's a pretty good signing bonus. These guys, I have a relationship with these guys. I'm two years more mature. I understand who I am as a person and you know what I can do as a player. And I, I signed a contract. And now I was on my journey to the major leagues. Right. So, so Lou, so you accept the 85 K's and now you're going into the minors. Yes. Talk to us about the minor leagues. How was that? How was that transition from college to the minors? One thing I realized very quickly is each level you go to, you start at the bottom. You get to the minor leagues, you start at the bottom because now this all the top players, the top hitters, all state, all Americans from everywhere, now that I'm competing against. And I remember the Pirates, you know, ranking me as the number two player in their, in their organization. So I went from being drafted in the 56th round by the Astros out of high school, being offered $15,000, to the next year, going to junior college, and my coach telling me that <laughs> if I was any good, I wouldn't be there, right? And working really, really hard to get drafted again by the Pirates in the 31st round uh, to being a junior college player of the year and signing my contract 
to now, four years from the first time I got drafted, I'm the number two prospect in the Pittsburgh Pirates organization. And that was just due to just hard work and determination and just believing in myself. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about myself, but I always remember just remaining humble and not getting big-headed about it. Because baseball has a way of really checking you really quickly. You know, if you if you start to, you know, get big-headed. You know, it's a game of failure, and it will remind you really quickly if you get off course. So I'm going to move into 1995. And this particular year, this was when, I guess this was when God was challenging me. This was my obstacle that I had to overcome. I'm the number two prospect, so I'm probably, I, was, I was probably putting some pressure on myself to perform accordingly, right? Correct. And uh, I just remember just getting off to a terrible start. I remember, you know, I think I might have started the season about five for 30 or something like that. I'm hitting like 100. And then right after that, I had an injury. I sprung my ankle. Then right after that, I did something to my hand. So I'm oh, wow. injured and I'm struggling and I'm bored and I'm missing mm-hmm. home and I'm homesick and I, I'm just going through it all. All the emotions and I'm thinking about my dream is going to end and I'm going to get released and I'm, I'm not, I'm going to lose my starting job and different stuff like that. I'm young. I don't have anybody to call and talk to who have been through this before. I can't get in the rhythm. I can't get going. You know, it's about midway through the season. And you know, one of my goals was to try to make the all-star team every year that I played, you know, in the minor leagues. And this particular year, I did not make it. And it hurt oh, me. Wow. It hurt me. You know, my buddy, my roommates, both of them made it. And I got to go watch it. So I'm burning up inside. I'm sick to my stomach. I'm not jealous of those guys. I'm happy for them. Yeah, but I'm, right. I'm, you know, I'm just feeling like, man, I'm not accomplishing, you know, what I set out to accomplish. And, you know, maybe I'm, I'm going backwards. And I just remember uh, just continuing to work hard and try to stay, I try to stay upbeat. And, uh, you know, God has a way of just, he'll, he'll tap you on your shoulder and always let, let you know that he's there, right? That's so, right. Yeah, that's right. I'm back healthy now. I'm back playing. And uh, we're on the road. We're in uh, Frederick, Maryland, right? We're playing the uh, Baltimore Orioles affiliate. And Andy Vance Flight is down on rehab. Andy Vance Flight was a major league star. He was with the Orioles. He, he, had, he was on rehab. He must have got hurt in the big leagues. He was coming back down in the minor leagues just to get some at-bats, get his body back right before they called him back up to the big leagues, right? So we're playing him. You know, I'm excited to see a big leaguer. So what happened was he hit a double. Boom, he hit a double in the gap. I get the relay, walk it in, toss it to the pitcher, and I'm looking down, I'm tight face and frowned all up. And he looked at me, he say, he say, Hey man, what's wrong with you? He's out the blue. He don't know who I am. He said, Hey man, what's wrong with you? I say, Hey, I'm struggling. I can't I can't seem to put it together. Uh, it's been tough for me. And he looked at me and he said, have you always hit all your life? You've been a guy who can hit? I said, yeah. He said, don't worry about it. He said, you'll be fine. He said, keep working. And my eyes just got bucked. <laughs> I couldn't believe that he just, he made it so simple, but it, it, it made perfect sense to me. Right. Coming from a major leaguer, it resonated with me. I thought about it. 
And that's what I did. And so fast forward that year, about a week or two later, I caught fire. I'm talking about I hit probably 480 for the rest of the season. About about a six or seven week stretch, I hit like 480. So at the time that I met him, I probably was hitting about 230 with with at least 250 at-bats. And it's very difficult to raise your average once you get up to those many at-bats. That's correct. Yeah. I caught fire. I raised my average up to close to 280. I finished up at around 276 and ended up being like one of the top 10 hitters in the league and really turned my season around to where I finished really strong. And that was a big turning point. I had to deal with that adversity and God sent the angel. That's amazing. That's, That's amazing. The next year I went to double A. I had a great year there. I was all star. I was the MVP of the team, you know, kind of flourished. You know, all the while I'm dealing with injuries, I'm dealing with just all type of stuff that, you know, politics of the game. We're in, we in towns where it's, it's racial situations. The next year we got moved up to AAA and I, uh, I flourished in AAA. I, I got off to a great start, had a great year. I was doing wonderful, but I was a young guy in AAA. You know, AAA has a lot of guys bouncing back and forth from the major leagues. You got a lot of veteran guys that's there, that's older, who's been in the major leagues, got a lot of experience in playing 15, maybe 20 years. And so when you're a young guy getting up there, I was probably at that time about 23 years old. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you you know, you, you treat it like a rookie. And uh, mm-hmm. we had a we had a veteran coach who who tended to favor the veterans, right? I just remember, you know, every time we would lose, he would just blame it on the young guys. He would just blame it on us. It, it, you know, he'd point the finger in a in a in a in a sarcastic way, in a in a good way. And sometimes he would get on us because it was our fault. And I remember one time he he called me into the office uh, about midway through the season, and uh, he told me to sit down. You know, I'm thinking to myself, man, what did I do wrong now? Because in my mind, I had a pretty good game. I was doing pretty good. He's like, sit right. down. I got, I got some, I got some good news for you, and I got some bad news for you. He said, "What do you want to hear first? <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Well, tell me the bad news." He said, "You made the All Star team, but you're not going." I, I'm thinking, I'm looking at him like, well, "How are you gonna take that from me? Like, what are you doing? What, I mean, what did I do wrong?" <laughs> He's going to the big leagues tomorrow. Woo, said, man! Wow! 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 wow. He said, I was going to the big league tomorrow. Wow. I couldn't imagine. So let me ask you this. So here you are. You get called up. You go into the majors. You get there, and I need to know the feeling of that first time you stepped on the field. The first time you went into that stadium, looked around at all the people, and were actually there. How did you feel? That kid from Chicago. Wow. I remember, you know, the flight because I was in Canada. We was we was playing in Edmonton, so I had to leave right from there, fly straight to Pittsburgh. It's no going back to your home. You're going straight to Pittsburgh. So that was new to me. So I'm nervous. I'm looking. I'm you know I'm I'm trying to contact my mother. I'm I gotta call and let her know. And uh, and I'm telling him I need to go back and get my clothes. He's like, no, no, no clothes. Hey, you take what you have and you go. Here's the flight. You got a flight tomorrow. I say, what? So I'm on the flight. I'm so nervous. I am excited and I am super nervous. 
And uh, so I, I fly in, I, I jump in the, I jump in the cab, I'm on my way to the stadium. The game is, is seven o'clock that night. Uh, got into Pittsburgh around maybe two thirty, two o'clock. Head to the stadium. I get to the stadium. <laughs> this is a funny story, and we'll get to answer your question too. But uh, how about the <laughs> cab, right? I'm a rookie. I'm a rookie. I'm a Chicago kid, right, from the South Side. <laughs> I get I get out the cab. And I realized I only have Canadian money. I don't even have American money. I can't even pay for the cat. <laughs> so now I had to walk inside the clubhouse. It so happened to be raining outside, right? It's raining. So everybody's stretching in the clubhouse. So all, everybody's in the clubhouse. I'm walking in with my bags. And the first thing I had to say is, I don't have any money for the cat. And they just bust up laughing like, rookie, oh, man, rookie. So that was hilarious. And uh, so they, they took care of the cab. And I walk over to my locker and I see my jersey hanging in there with my name on it. Yeah. And I just sat down and thought about it. And I just I realized that dreams come true. Yeah. They do. That kid from Chicago. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, I'm sorry. Got a little choked up, but. That's what people want to hear. They want to hear the nope. real deal, the feeling. Kids, parents, you know, they want to hear that emotion. And everything it took for you to get to that very, very moment is powerful because it means that your your hustle and your grind paid off. So, so Lou, here we are. You made it to the majors. You're in the diamond. You're in the field. But I, I, I got to throw you a curveball right now. I, I need to get to this place right here because I've been itching to hear the response. You posted a few weeks ago a video of you playing for the very first time at Wrigley Field as a rookie. You were coming up to bat. You were in a situation when the coach would usually tell you to give you the bunt sign, but instead he gave you the green light. Now, mind right. you, I want everybody to picture this real quick. You have over 60-plus family members and friends in the stands ready to watch you, to see you, to cheer you on, the home kid from Chicago, and explain to the people how how you felt in that moment coming up to bat. Yeah, first off, you know, I'm playing at Wrigley. You know, I grew up watching the Cubs. I mean, that was my favorite team. We we all watched WGN and mm-hmm. watched the Cubs. Sean Dunstan and Ryan Sandberg was my two favorite players. You you know, like I know, Sammy, when he hit a home run, when he get in the dugout, they put that camera on him and he do his little thing with his the little signs kissing to the camera. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah. And that's, you know, that's all I could think of, you know, playing at Wrigley Field. Just remember my family all being there and friends and, you know, everybody's saying, well, we're going to watch you on TV, man. Have a good game and this and that. So I'm walking up to the plate. You know, as a man on first and second, I'm the eight-hole hitter, right? The pitcher hits out to me. Nine out of ten times, I'm usually bunting those runners over, right, to get them in scoring position. And either they pinch it for the pitcher or, you know, they let them swing away. But we that was usually my job. So I don't know if, if my manager, Gene Lamont, just knew that I was at home and he wanted me to shine or you have that opportunity. I don't know. Right. So maybe it was God doing what he does, right? Mm-hmm. He exalts you, right? Mm-hmm. So I come up to the plate. I look, and I'm looking for the bunt sign. And I see him giving me the swing away. 
I say, oh wow, okay. <laughs> and in my mind, I'm digging in like I'm like I'm thinking first fastball I see, I'm I'm coming out my shoes on this one. Man, he threw me a fastball running in a little bit. I got the barrel out. Boom. Unbelievable. The ball goes out the park. Mm. Yeah. And I remember it felt like I was floating around the bases. Floating. Couldn't couldn't believe it. It was the best feeling I ever had as a player. And to be honest with you, after that moment, I could have my career could have ended and I would have been perfectly fine with with what happened because that was a dream come true. Yeah, uh, for my mom and family to be able to see me live and be able to hit a home run in front of my friends and against the Chicago Cubs. And I remember when I got in the dugout, they put the camera on me. And I remember <laughs> that. And uh, and I just remember pointing to the camera, saying hello to everybody. But that was that's a moment that, you know, I'll never forget. It was uh, so wonderful. It was just so, you know, just refreshing to be able to, 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 be able to do that. Uh, That's awesome. That's amazing, Lou. You know, I wanted to ask you, Lou, you know, what was your, what was your motivation to push through all of that adversity? Well, you know, coming from, you know, where I come from and, uh, you know, my mom being strong and tough and, you know, fighting to, to raise us the best that she could. In my mind, you know, baseball was a vehicle that could change my life. And I, I took that very serious, you know, to be able to utilize the game, to be able to allow me to see things different. I wanted to be different. I never wanted to be a kid hanging out in the street. I never wanted to sell drugs. I never wanted to be in a game. I love sports. And, you know, baseball was a game that I, that, that I loved. And, and once I got the opportunity to, to become a professional at it, in my mind, there was no looking back. In my mind, I was going to achieve that. And I wanted, I wanted something different for myself. I wanted, to, I wanted to make my mom proud. I wanted to, you know, just be different from what I was seeing each and every day. And so that's what motivated me each and every day when it got tough, when I was hurt, playing through injuries, uh, dealing with, you know, unbiased situations. You know, everything that I had to endure, everything that I was around, everything that I was seeing, some things that I didn't quite understand, some things that just made me feel really bad. And But, you know, my motivation was to excel and be different and, and really to make, make my family proud. And that's what it's all about, right? It's like you want to achieve this dream, but you also want to set a good example um, for your family, for the people in your neighborhood, from where you're from, to just show people like, hey, guys, we can make our dreams happen, but we got to put the work in and we got to work hard. And so looking back, is there anything that you think you would have done differently? The only thing, you know, and I think about this periodically uh, now that I'm older, right? I'm older and I understand things differently. And uh, I just wish I would have asked, you know, about different situations, why things was happening and just trying to understand the whole process of what I was going through. Right. And once I got there, just more understanding, just ask more questions. What what a lot of people don't understand, right? They think it's this it's this glorious job, right? You're a professional. They think that you're making so much money and everything's beautiful, right? Right. And uh and it's 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 totally opposite from that. It's a fight. 
each and every day is a heavyweight fight. It's an unfair fight. You know, you have to believe in yourself, even when nobody may be believing it. And mm-hmm. and I'm a, and the reason why I'm saying this is because even though my mom and my family loved me, I know they did, and they was praying for me every day, they couldn't help me. And they thought it was next to impossible to reach those goals. They believed in me, but they, in their, in their minds, because they never had seen anybody achieve that, they thought that was impossible, right? So in my mind, I had to continue to believe in myself. I had to visualize seeing myself achieving these things and reaching these goals. I had to dig deep. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I had to go out and play with a pulled hamstring, with a sprained ankle. I had to just keep pushing because that opportunity for success is limited. It's a small window. It's millions of people who wanted that spot, right? And every year they draft new a new batch of kids every year. And they're getting kids from Puerto Rico, Dominica, Japan, Mexico, along with the kids they drafted from the state. So that's why the odds are so against you. And mm-hmm. me as an inner city kid, without much training and not being used to the the different culture, it it made it even more difficult for me. So I had to really be alert. I had to use my my instincts. I had to use my faith. And I had to keep pushing and pushing and pushing until I broke through the barrier and and achieved it. So, um, you know, that was part of my motivation. Um, That's great. That's good. So, you know, it's like many want, many want what they see on the TV, but don't want the process, you know? Right. And, um, but, um, a question I have for you, Louis, if you were that major leaguer now going back to the minors and you ran into that kid that's struggling, what's the advice that you would give him the way that major leaguer did for you? Yeah, it, it would be similar to what, uh, Andy Vance like told me. I would just I would just tell that kid that hey keep believing in yourself, you know kind of opposite from what my coach told me right. I would tell him you wouldn't be here if you wasn't good enough to be here. So keep believing in your ability, keep working hard, things will get better, you know. But ultimately, the, you know the number one message would be to continue to believe in themselves, and That's things right. will get better. That's right. And so, Lou, before we wrap up, currently, I mean, you live in Atlanta right now. We're in Chicago. Everyone is at a loss right now because of what happened to George Floyd. And there's just such an uprising in the country and and even in the world. What would you share? What's your perspective on this right now, being a, a Black man in America that's achieved this amazing dream, but that did come from the South side of Chicago. And you and I had talked about this, you know, where people think that, you know, nothing good can come out of certain areas all over the country, right? If you live in this neighborhood, you know, this is what you can expect. And, and you've proven that to be wrong. You know, what would, what would you say about that right now? And right now, you know, we're dealing with some, uh, you know, difficult times, right? With the, uh, the death of George Floyd, which is, is very, difficult, you know, for everyone to deal with, especially the fact that it was, you know, filmed and and everyone seen it on TV. Me as a black man growing up, this is not the first time I've witnessed something like this. Right. This type, these types of things have been going on since I've been alive. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just something that I had to deal with and had to just continue to overcome. It's like, you know, it's all around you, right? 
you know that it can happen to you at any moment. You know, for me, I try to stay focused on the positives, right? I try to stay focused on the things that I can control because I cannot control the media. I cannot control the police brutality. I cannot control how other people react to situations like this, but I can control me and the message that I bring and the people that I mentor. And I try to talk to them about just trying to be the best person that they can possibly be. And I believe that if each and every person just continue to try to be the best person they can possibly be, that's how the world is going to change. I try not to express views or my opinions on the what's and why these things are happening. I know that God sees it all. That's right. And that's that's who ultimately is going to fight the battle, right? That's right. In my heart, every day I wake up, I try to, first of all, have gratitude for waking up and being in the situation that I am. And also try to use my platform, things that I was able to accomplish to try to change somebody's life or just try to open up their eyes to a different way of thinking. And that's really how, you know, the way that I've been dealing with it, uh, with my family and, you know, everybody that I've, I've been around. That's great. And so I know that you're doing some amazing things. You're focus and your passion is pouring into young men and helping them achieve their dreams, like you said, on and off the field. Tell us a little bit about that and then tell us how we can connect, how people can connect with Lou Collier Baseball. Um, If anybody would like to connect with you directly, learn about your organization or maybe how they could come alongside you and help this cause that, that you've been working so hard towards. You know, Lou Collier Baseball started uh, in 2008. And the whole vision behind it was once I got to the major leagues and looked back and thought about how difficult it was for me to get there and achieve that goal uh, from, you know, a kid being from the inner city, an African-American kid being from the inner city, I knew that I had to do something, right, to help kids achieve their dreams and goals. Just be a mentor, somebody they can talk to, somebody they can see that look like them, that that's from where they're from. You know, that if I can do it, then they can do it, and I'm here to help you. You know, so that was the reason why I started the program. And, you know, I use baseball as a vehicle to to attract the kids, to try to plant the seeds in them, the life skills. And once they matured and they got older, that thing would grow in them about the greatness that was inside of them as well. So now, you know, I've just recently moved to Atlanta, and I'm doing more training. Still have a few teams back in Chicago and working with kids, you know, from all over the country. Just trying to teach them the right way, man. Teach them to be accountable, to work hard, to believe in themselves, to keep fighting. That it's something bigger than them. That once they realize it, they'll, they'll, you know, it'll motivate them even more to keep pushing and fighting for those things that they want to accomplish. So, so uh, you know, if anybody want to reach out to me, my uh, social media sites, Facebook, they can reach me at Lou Collier. Uh, Instagram, they can they can reach me at Lou Collier Baseball or Twitter at uh, at Lou Collier BB. Or they can go on my website, LouCollierBaseball.com. They want to reach out. We have a, a donate button. If they want to donate, we are not for profit. They will get a, a tax write off for any donations that are made. But we're just trying to impact the world in a positive way. Baseball is what I did, so baseball is what I utilized. But it's, it's bigger than that. It's, it's about trying to change the world and, and there's still the life skills in each and every individual that we encounter. Amen. amen. That's awesome. Amen. So, Lou, I got to tell you, man, it, I had a, 
an honor having my son playing in an organization. And um, I pray nothing but success for you and the family. And I'll tell you one thing. I can't wait to the day I see Cam on that field. <laughs> I'm telling you, I've seen the way you're working out with him. I see how big he got, how strong he is. With you behind him and God above him, I know that he will achieve his goals, his dreams. So I can't wait for that day, Lou. But I thank you. I truly do. Oh, thank you. And it was a pleasure working with your son. And, and uh, you know, a lot of parents get a you know a bad rap, you know, with travel ball and different stuff like that. But you guys were wonderful. From the time that we got E, from the time that he left, you know, it, it was a pleasure, you know, working with him and, and getting to know you guys. And, and look at us now, you know, 12, 13 years later, we're still connecting. And I think Absolutely. that's what it's all about. So yes, I thank you and I appreciate everything. And you know that I'm going to stay on Cameron's back. He's making us all proud. He's yeah. doing what he needs to do. He's focused. I know it's tough with me being his dad. <laughs> and he's That's taking right. it all in stride. And uh, I'm very proud. His mom is proud of him as well. So thank you. That's I appreciate awesome. that. Absolutely. Lou, uh, I just want to close out by saying that I want to thank you. Thank you for being on the Courageous Podcast today. This was really amazing. Um, it was important because I know there's a lot, a lot of parents and young people out there that have this amazing dream, but don't realize how hard it is and how hard they have to work to achieve it. But you proved today that it is possible. And so I want to continue to pray blessings over you, your family, your beautiful daughters, your son, as you know, one day we hope to see him playing at Wrigley Field. Um, and I'm going to pray that into existence. But I also want to push you again and say that you have a powerful story and that you need to start writing writing that book that we were talking about, okay? <laughs> Stop thinking about it and start working on it. We hope to have you back on the Courageous Podcast in the future to continue to tell the world and young people what you're doing and how important it is to continue to pour into young men and to be mentors, you know, as other men are using their gifts, that they will take those gifts and use them to pour them into all of our young men across America. For sure. I really appreciate you guys having me. Hey, Courageous Community, thanks so much for joining us. I hope you were encouraged today. If you have a courageous story or want to connect with today's guest, email us at courageouspodcast2020 at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Courageous Podcast. Until next time, continue to be strong and courageous. Courageous.